0: Hey everyone, it's Michael Equinox Doodles, and I just want to quickly say that I'm not gonna be in this episode, because uh, I was actually at work when they recorded this, and uh, all that good stuff. This is a bonus episode, this is like their third time recording this, because I just keep forgetting to download and save it! Uh, The first time we recorded it was actually just with me and Air, and... It wasn't the right vibes, so I dipped out, let them do their own thing, and they pretty much had a great old time, or maybe just a great old time, who knows. But this is all a Warhammer thing. Uh, If you don't know anything about Warhammer, you should listen to our So You Want to Know episode about Warhammer that they put together. I wasn't able to follow along, but maybe you will. You're going to need to take notes. It's a bit of a long one. I'm putting this break in the front because there wasn't really a good place to put the break in the Warhammer 50k kind of read. So, uh, this is just essentially my reminder to say we have merchandise on Redbubble. You can find it at thegravitystuck.redbubble.com, I believe. You can also follow us on Twitter at S-Y-T-Y-C-Fanon. That's where all the goods are. That's where you can get updated and all that good shit. Uh, I don't think I'm forgetting anything, but if Umicon is still happening this year, uh, by the time we're recording this, it, it's still happening, unfortunately. But uh, we are planning to do two panels. Uh, one is the most chaotic game of D&D ever. And the other one is uh, the usual reading fan fiction with the audience panel that we really like doing. So I hope that we'll see you there. We're going to be practicing safety and all that good jazz. And if you're there, you might see me in a dress. It's kind of cool. Uh, with that being said, I want to say thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode. And I hope you guys really enjoy what these guys put together because they had a lot of fun and I was listening to this and it definitely seems like they had a total blast reading this crazy cool fanon. Uh, So with that, I'll let you guys get right to the goods and we'll see you then.
1: Hello and welcome to 40k Facts about how you think you can fanon. I'm your host, Serge Juan. I'm h- joined here by uh, Commissar Hot Cakeacus, also known as Jake, and Madicus Theories. Uh, we are missing Michael, who's uh, going on the Equinox Crusade to fight the enemies of the fandom of mankind. Uh, we are sponsored today <clears throat> uh, by the great uh, Cato Sicarius. All hail Cato Sicarius. Oh,
2: all hail Cato Sicarius.
1: With that out of the way, uh, welcome to another one of our Warhammer-themed episodes. If you haven't <clears throat> if you haven't watched our uh, Warhammer lore episode, I recommend you watch it and Warhammer 50,000. It isn't required to know what's going on in this fanfiction oh, no, we're reading tonight. God, I
3: just stole plastic. I'll be back.
1: Oh. <clears throat> As I was saying... Uh it is not required to watch this episode but it's Warhammer related and I guess this is kind of turning into a mini series so you should check it out. Yeah, War-
2: Warhammer is awesome. Take it take it from the the strange man who may or may not be a figment in this fandom's imagination.
1: Yes. <clears throat> so today uh we have uh, a fan fiction that I I really enjoy and plan on reading more at some point but I haven't got around to it. Uh this is the the Rebootian Heresy. Also known as the Gilliman Goo. It truly is
2: the Gillimanist of the goofiest of any kind of Warhammer yeah. factions.
1: Yes. So this uh is uh there's a lot of these running around of uh, alternate Horus Heresy um fan fictions. Uh this one, however, is a, is a bit different. Um basically the premise being that um, the traitors and the loyalists have been switched around, but with a little twist. He goes a bit above and beyond than just the flipping of the uh, the Primarchs around.
2: Saint, your average alternate universe heresy.
1: This is also quite the read. We, of course, won't be reading all of it today because it, it is 737,000 words and is still being updated. Uh, the author's name is Zahariel. I recommend you support him in any fa- sort of fashion.
2: Hmm. And it was also, by the author's own admission, heavily inspired by the Dornian heresy.
1: Yes, another fan fiction, which was probably the first of uh, um, of the uh, uh alternate heresy fan fictions.
2: Definitely started a trend. But uh, I think I think the Rabushan heresy tended to
1: polish things better is that the best way to put it uh i think so um i also just looked on his profile and there is a person on deviantart named uh uh Nemris, who i will put in the uh general he does uh fan art for the Rebootian heresy so there's there's a few of them in here like there's some uh uh chaotic ultramarines among other things That's pretty neat. So, uh we will begin reading once Jacob uh, returns from his uh uh dog induced hiatus.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm here I just didn't want to interrupt you.
1: Okay. Uh are we ready to begin? Yeah. Uh, I am ready, brother. <clears throat> all right so we will start um i'll skip the author's note we'll just go straight to where it says the raboot and heresy uh who would like to play uh the changer of ways uh greater demon of zinch
2: hmm i can't remember who better the first time would you like to be a jacob
3: uh i don't care up to you
1: i'll be the demon why not all right, and Jacob, would you like to be the Ultramarine? Because I know you've always wanted to play Rabuteuil Gilliman, so is, Mar- is, like is it Marcus? Yes, Marcus.
3: Sure.
1: Narrate away, Sergio. Right. I've
3: always wanted to be
1: named Marcus. Marcus, charge the demon of the Changer of Ways. His sacred blade risen and ready to bit to. To, bit, to bite into the abomination's flesh the winged creature was covered in the fire of his battle brother's bolters, but what would have rent even a terminator armor to shrapnel was barely enough to hold the demon in place. As the venerated Primarch had written in the Codex Astartes, the warp-born could only truly be defeated either by a blade wielded by a champion of the Imperium or the fire of their flamers. Other weapons were threat only to the weakest of them, and a mere hindrance to those such as the Duke of Change that had plunged the sire system into Civil War and now stood before him. Marcus was chosen champion of the Fifth Company of the Heralds of Ultramar, and now the foul beast before him would fall by his blade. You fool! hissed the demon as he closed in. You think you can defeat
2: chaos? You are nothing, Marcus!
1: The Space Marine kept on charging, ignoring the sudden discomfort filling him as the demon spoke his name.
2: You think yourself so pure, so high. You believe yourself to be above all others, to be the incarnation of all that your dying Imperium values so highly. Such arrogance. You are no different from all those of your brethren that now fight under the glorious banner of chaos. Your blood is no purer than theirs was before they turned against the lies of your corpse, Emperor.
1: The sword was plunged into the demon's chest. Despite the flow of energy caused by the wound, the Duke of Change ignored it, focusing its unholy attention on Marcus himself. The herald spat at the demon's face, watching the acid biting into its flesh with unnatural vapor.
3: Your words are lies powerless against my the armor my faith demon the Primarch gilliman was the greatest of all his kindred and the one whose loyalty to the emperor could never be shaken by the ruinous powers
1: <laughs> is that what you believe as yeah. the greater as the greater demon's physical form started to die a storm of warp energy formed around it and its killer marcus heard the alarm clo- cries of his brothers over the vox but he didn't retreat, instead of pushing his blade even further within the demon's breast.
2: Then let me show
1: you, Marcus of the Heralds of Ultramar. The strings of time began to unwind before Marcus's eyes. In the currents of the warp, he saw the stars turn black, the flow of history. Change as events unfolded in a different way. So for our next session, section, the pre-heresy the threat in the dark. In the glorious days of the 31st millennium, the Imperium's great crusade conquered the stars, the great Legione Astartes, led by the very sons of the Emperor, brought the wrath of the lord of mankind upon its foes. Behind them came the might of the imperial guard in its seemingly endless numbers, the power of the titans of Mars and all their godlike majesty, and the silent blades of the assassin temples, cloaked in shadow to purge all who would rise over the new age. The countless worlds claimed by mankind during the scattering were brought back under the rule of Terra, either embracing their lost heritage or forced into compliance. The old night was over. The light of the Astronomican hand reached across the galaxy, bringing with it the promise of a better future. At Olenor, the Emperor announced that he would retire from the command of the Great Crusade, and return to Terra to work on a secret project that would change the face of the galaxy forever. He named his favorite and most acclaimed son, Horus Lupercal, Primarch of the Illuna Wolves, war master of the Imperium, to command the Great Crusade in his name. To mark the honor that was made to him, the Legion Horus commander was renamed, stopping to be the Luna Wolves to be the Sons of Horus. Another one of his sons, Magnus, was to come with him on Terra, with the elite of his legion to help him in his project. The rest of the thousand sons placed under the command of Horus to help him in his tremendous task. Centuries later, historians would look back at the events of that fateful day, and in hindsight would show them the signs were already there. The first cracks in the dream of humanity had already started to appear. Jealousy spread amidst the Primarchs, while several of them supported Horus's right to the title of War Master, others such as the Lion, Dorn, and Gilliman felt that they would have been a better choice. After Ullinor, the Great Crusade resumed, and the newly appointed War Master Rey to prove the rest of the Imperium that he was worthy of such a title. For a time, the Great Crusade continued unabated. Then, whispers of disquiet came. Several of the Primarchs had never hidden their distrust of all the things in the warp. They rejected the use of psychic powers amongst their legions. They called for sanction against the thousands of suns, calling their powers sorcery in fear that they would reignite chasmic- cataclysmic events that led to the Age of Strife. On Nicaea, the emperor made his final judgment, declaring that psychers were to be trained and controlled in the tightly regulated Liberius. and had such been established in some legions. Magnus, who had mysteriously stayed silent during the debate, despite the obvious stake he and his sons had a result, tried to appease his brothers who disagreed with the judgment, only to be nearly struck down by Lehman Russ. The great wolf believed the thousand sons' research into the etheric was dangerous, no matter how much more restrained it had become since they... Had come under Horus Lupercal's command, he warned the rest of the Primarchs that this was a terrible mistake and left with his legion, returning to the front lines of the Great Crusade. The rest of the Primarchs did the same, though the Emperor profited of their gathering to demand Perturabo come back with him and Magnus on Terra. The Lord of Mankind wanted the Iron Warriors to fortify the Imperial Palace and act as the defenders of Terra, as they had proved their talent at such duties during the rest of the Great Crusade. Perturabo was elated to see his legion's abilities at least given the recognition they deserved, and to be given a chance to reunited with his brother Terra. The two primarchs had been close since their days on the Throne World, when they had just been found by their father. and This opportunity to renew their bonds was greatly appreciated. That decision to make Perturabo the Emperor's Praetorian did not go without causing anger either, with Rogal Dorn's own bitterness being among first the reactions. Other events occurred in the two centuries that followed, with the tension between the legions growing, and Caratan. The Night Lords fought at the Salamanders, only for the Guardians of Law to be horrified by the ruthless actions of the Sons of Nocturne. A similar event happened in the Sharote system. When fighting alongside Imperial Fist and the Emperor's children, Conrad Kurz almost killed Rogel Dorn, after the violent Primarch of the Seventh Legion, butchered thousands of civilians. Only Fulgrim's intervention prevented the Night Haunter from killing his brother then and there. Those were the signs that corruption was beginning to spread across the legions. The savior of Nostromo, staunchest defender of humanity, began to challenge his most ruthless brother's methods, but the true horror still waited in the future. In his own pursuit of the Great Crusade, the War Master came in contact with a human civilization that had endured the Old Night, the Interacts, its rulers had taken several alien races under their dominion, and while this was not to conform with the Emperor's decree that all Xenos were the Empire enemies of man, Horus tried to bring the Interacts within the Imperium peacefully. However, during the negotiations the warmaster was attacked by it with a blade stolen when the Meeting Planets Museum, the Kinabrock weapon brought Horus down with a poison of terrible potency. One of the apothecaries of both the Sons of Horus and Thousand sons were unable to cure. With their father dying, the Sons of Horus in rage nearly turned against the Interacts, ready to rend the whole world asunder. The Evasion forces prepared, ready to strike at other humans. A tra- terrible tragedy had already taken place. It seemed more was to come. Only. The conjoint intervention of Garfield Locat, captain of the 16th Legion, and Azik Araman, commander of the Thousand Sons under Horus command, calm the fury of Ezekiel, Abaddon, and the rest is that
3: of the. Is that how they spell Ezekiel? Yes. Really?
2: Yep.
1: Yeah.
3: It's Ezekiel? Kyle?
1: No, it's just Ezekiel. That's not how it's normally spelled. Uh, yeah, it that is not how it's normally spelled. And did he? Yep. That is that is how it's spelled. That's not a that's not a misspelling of how they spell it.
3: Yes, easy, uh, Kyle. Easy.
1: the culprit had all killed many of the Interax's own warriors in his break and escaped upon a stolen warship of the Imperium. The members of the Interax claim that the responsible must have been tainted by Chaos, as only one of such madmen would see the point in slaying the mighty and honorable War Master. Uh, I'll, I, I I will be Garville Loken. <clears throat> Chaos. Asked to Garviel. "What are you talking about? And who would like to be the Interrex soldier?"
3: I'll be the Interrex soldier.
1: The soldier looked back at the space marine, incredulity filling his eyes.
3: You mean that you don't know about it?
1: I know what chaos is, but I do not think we are referring to the same thing. How could the concept of disorder cause hi- harm to a Primarch?
3: It isn't a concept. It is the primordial annihilator, the scourge of all beings living in the galaxy. It is a dark shadow of all things, projected in the Empyrean. It is madness personified. How can you travel through the war but not know of it?
1: The words brought back some of the foulest of Garveal's memories. Could this be about about the powers that had driven Jubal mad back on 63-19th? You must tell me more about this chaos, he ordered. But first, let's find Azek. I think we will need his advice on this. The existence of Chaos and as the Interrex knew it set a new light upon various events the Legions had encountered in the past. It also helped the Thousand Suns identify what was happening to Horus. With this new insight, they were able to purge the War Master of what, fault of a better way to describe it, the Mournful came to call a demonic possession. They sent their souls into the warp, and there found the Warmaster's own psychic self beset on all fronts, attacked by creatures of the Imperium that wanted to destroy him. He had fought them for weeks, but was weakening, his body soon reflecting his soul's weariness. They saved him, and the Primarch rose from his deathbed filled with righteous anger. The demons had taunted him all while they fought, with half-whispered lies about how soon everything he had fought for would be destroyed. Reporting the negotiations with the Interrex to a later time, he took all of his forces with them and set course for Terra to converse with his father and the terrible things that had been revealed to him. After months of tumultuous journey, the fleets of the Sons of Horus emerged from the warp near Terra. Communications had been cut off during transit with only screams piercing the veil of the warp. Horus had thought that his survival had thrown the plans of the newly discovered enemies in disarray, that whatever they had planned obviously had an encounter for the possibility of his. Once they returned to real space, the Sons of Horus received messages from the Panic Imperium and told them dire news indeed. So we have The First Treachery News had reached the Imperium that Rebute Gilliman had returned his back on the Imperium. He claimed that the Emperor abandoned humanity and gave him up his empire conquered for him by the blood of his warriors to the hands of base politicians and bureaucrats. declared the whole of the 500 worlds of Ultramar were no longer part of the Imperium. He had also vowed to throw down his father to punish him for a so-called betrayal. Worse, three of his brothers had sided with him, Sanguinius, Ferris Manus, and Rogaldorn, had been part of his treachery, and alongside Rebutae had purged their own legions of those who had remained true to their oaths on the killing grounds of Istavan. If for not a single ship that had escaped the slaughter, the Imperium might not have known the rebellion before the traitor's next strike. As it was, the Imperium saw a chance to strike back, destroy the rebellion, and bring the traitor legions to heel before the poison of Gilma's treachery could spread. Would someone like to be Horace?
2: Would you like the honors, Jacob?
3: Nah, you can have it, my good man.
2: <clears throat> Rabute, Wise Rabute, Rebootay with his scratching quills and his plans and his hope. Too understanding. Too strong. Too damn perfect. I wish I'd seen it before it was too late
1: for Master Horus. Horus met with his father within the newly fortified walls of the Imperial Palace, and they agreed that this bore the mark of chaos, though the Primarch of the sons of Horus still felt bitter about the Emperor hiding such a threat from him. Magnus, who himself had been taught the true scope of the Warp's danger upon returning to Terra, explained to him the reason behind their father's decision. He had feared that, that the knowledge of the ruinous powers would have only helped spread their influence, and the events proved he had been right, if not thorough enough. Dark gods had waited long strike against the Emperor, and they had done so by training his greatest generals into his mightiest foes. Rumors and heretical writings pretend that Horus was once the target of their dark plots, but that the presence of the Thousand Sons at his side forced them to reconsider. Seeking a new champion in the material realm, their choice settled on Rebute golem and the Primarch of the Ultramarines commanded the most numerous legion and ruled over hundreds of worlds already. They fanned the embers of his anger at not having been chosen as war master and twisted his vision of the Imperium's influence on the kingdom he had built. They manipulated the populations of worlds he was conquering, forcing him into bloody campaigns of extermination that made his faith in his father's imperial truth weaken. Trying to exercise his doubts for Bute had led his legion even further into the galaxy trying to find something, anything, that would prove his father right. None amongst the Imperium know what happened, but when he returned, he was already the chosen agent of Chaos Undivided, champion of the primordial annihilator in his war against the Emperor of Mankind. Horus was too f- far from Istvan to, inter- to react in time to stop whatever Gilliman and his cohorts had planned next, but the Imperium had other warriors under his command. Using both his authority as War Master and that of Malchador Sigilite, Regent of Terra, Lupercal sent a message to the remaining Loyalists ordering them to sail towards the Istavan system, destroy the traitor legions, and bring the retribution to the faithless sons the Emperor had led them. Two of his brothers, Lorgar, Aurelian, and Angron, he gave specific orders. They were to travel to the fleets to Ultramar, where the bulk of the 13th Legion remained, bring retribution upon the traitor's kingdom. kingdom. The cold, martial mind of Angron was judged to be the perfect balance for Lorgar's own overzealous tendency, while Lorgar's fierce passion for the Imperial Truth would ensure that his brother remained steadfast in the front of chaos. Together they were to purge the five hundred world of Gilman's influence, just as the message were sent, a new fleet appeared near Terra It came the to- carried the traumatized survivors of Prospero, home of the thousand sons. The planet had been attacked by the space wolves, led by the terrifying Primarch Leman Russ, put under the observation of five custodians after his violent departure from Nicaea, the Wolf King had thrown down his allegiance to the Imperium and slain his observers before sailing to Prospero. The sons of Fenris had claimed the planet was a den of black sorcery. They need to be put to the torch. <laughs> Why couldn't it have been white sorcery? <laughs> and the the emperor was a fool to allow it to continue existing with only a few legionaries remaining on garrison. And the mortal troops of the Thousand Sons use as auxiliaries. The Prosperians fought a desperate battle against the full might of an entire legion to evacuate as many civilians. priceless tomes of ancient lore as possible. He said when he heard the news, Magnus cried a single tear of blood. Regardless of the truth of the matter, it's certain that Horus began to feel the situation was direr than he First thought at that moment, though the true scope of it remained to be discovered.
3: Would it be arrival. just more dire instead of yeah,
1: dire? I think it was even more dire. There's a few typos in this. Perturabo, who had been absent when Horus arrived, returned to Terra at that time. He had left the throne world with a cadre of his best warriors to deal with the invasion of Olympia, the home world he had crafted into a wonder, peace and harmony. Such had too rarely existed in the galaxy's long history. Having crushed the Zeno invasion, he discovered signs that the 13th Legion had somehow been involved in the attack. At first, the Lord of Iron dismissed such claims, seeing them as attempts from the Xenos to see dissension in his Imperium. Once he arrived on Terra and learned of Gilman's However, the truth had been revealed. The whole thing had been a ploy to keep him from going to Istvan, perhaps even dared to kill him. But the assassination attempts that target perks during the campaign, had all failed, and doubtlessly the Legions, would being able to go to Istvan would be enough to destroy the traitors. Seven Legions arrived at Istvan. First came the dreaded warriors of the Death Guard in their full strength, led by their Primarch, Mortarian. Next came the ships of the Night Lords, with Conrad Kurz himself leading them. Primarch of the 8th Legion was in a dark mood as the visions that plagued him since childhood finally came true albeit in a different fashion than what he expected. The Night Lords had brought all their forces. Conrad claimed that most of his troops had been already engaged when the order to muster for Istvan to come, and he hadn't wanted to wait, instead of gathering a quarter of his legion and bring them with him. After them arrived, the fleet of the Dark Angels of Lionel Johnson returned from their mysterious wars in the Ghoul Stars, followed by Vulcan and his army of red-eyed devils. 19th Legion, the Raven Guard, ride right after them. The ship's filled to the brink with the numbers of the second most numerous legions of the Ultramarines. Thanks to the genetic expertise of the rulers of Kyaviar, Ky- Kyavar, uh Korax's homeworld. There were whispers of the Raven Lord the work of the Raven Lord upon his own jean bore bordered on heretical. In the face of Gilman's treachery, those accusations were put aside. From the void, its arrival unexpected, even by the countless astropaths and navigators on the system, the Alpha Legion appeared, joining the rest of the fleet. Alfarius, the secret primarch of the 20th Legion, met his brother Conrad aboard the Labyrinthic Depths of his battle barge, the Beta. None of them knew—none no, none know what words they exchanged in that meeting. The first between the two brothers since Alfarius had been found by Horus. The White Scars arrived last, having sailed at full speed from the distant stars of the Chondak system. The Khan had apparently been wounded in battle against the orcs, and didn't meet his brothers in person, though he promised he would be part of the assault by the intermediary of his representative, Hasek Noyan Khan. When the loyal legions emerged from the warp, they discovered that the fleet of traitors had mysteriously vanished, while communication from the surface of the system's fifth planet made clear that the traitor primarchs and the forces were still on Istvan V. Fearing an attack in their backs while they occupied the rest of the planet, they spread the combined fleets across the system while gathering their forces on the main vessels. The that three of the legions would strike first, carrying the landing zone for the rest of the loyalists. Mortarion, Conrad Curse, and Alfarius volunteered for this task. Mortarion claimed that his Death Guard were best suited for such brutal fighting as was expected on Esteban V, while Conrad Curse had nothing in his motivations. Alfarius didn't need to explain why he wanted to go first. All knew the old rivalry that existed between him and Gilliman. Three Primarchs made Planetfall with their troops first. One sec. <clears throat> uh, the skies of Istvan V burning with drop pods and artillery fire. Hundreds of legionaries died before they even touched the ground. Then they deployed and engaged the foe, and the slaughter began. The warriors they once called brothers were hideously deformed, twisted parodies of the paragons of honor and virtue they had once been. The ultramarines had debased their armor with sigils that made the eyes of those pure of heart want to scream in agony and walk to war with unholy monsters at their side. Creatures that to the loyalist horror wearing fragments of armor bearing the insignia of the 13th legion. The imperial fists fought with reckless fury, vainly maintaining any form of cohesion. The vanguard of the traitors, they reveled in their butchery, laughing as they killed just as much as they were finally slain. Their Primarch Rogel Dorn, bellowed his rage at the loyalists he cut them apart with his chainsword. Storm's teeth. While commanding his troops into complex maneuvers, nearly broke the loyalist formation. The Iron Hands were rotting shapes, oozing putrefaction and contamination. Their metallic parts impossibly rusted, yet still functioning. Ferris Manus, carrying the hammer that had been given to him by his brother Fulgrim, Forgebreaker, fought amongst his sons, his once-glorious form reduced to a walking nightmare. Only his two hands remained pure, untouched by the rot that consumed him. Sanguinius and his blood angels were those who appeared to have remained the most similar to their former selves. They fought with the fury and cold discipline of a legion, yet all who faced them could feel that something was profoundly wrong with them, though the space brains were unable to tell what. Quickly, the loyalists secured an area for reinforcements to land, and destroyed the heavy artillery that had caused them so much damage during their own descent, taking many losses in return. With the way cleared, the four legions still in orbit make planetfall, establishing lines to the defenses in a blink of the eye. Battered from hours of battle, the three legion searchers would draw towards their allies in defensive positions. And then, the Dark Angels, White Scars, Salamanders, and Raven Guard opened fire on them. Mortarion was running, moving faster than he had in all of his life, all around him, his sons were dying under the Ultramarine's fire. Before him, the lines of Alt- Dark Angels were waiting for them. He opened a Vox channel, tried to contact his brother's troops. <clears throat> this is Mortarion of the Death Guard. Dark Angels, give us covering fire. Damn you, help us, you cowardly. The word died on his lips of the Mark. When the Dark Angels did open fire to his horror, the fire wasn't aimed at the chairs behind him. It was targeting his own sons. The treachery of the four legions of the second wave was devastating. Thousands of Astartes were slain, and the Primarch of the Eighth Legion, Conrad Curse, died in battle against his brother Vulcan. A few night lords who escaped the Carnage told their father killed Vulcan many times. The black-skinned Primarch kept on rising. His wound's healing entered the action of some sorcery. Regardless of the truth, the Night Nighthaunter's sacrifice bought time for the broken forces of the three legions to reach their own transports and escape. While some records indicate that Alfarius was slain during the battle, the Primarch was seen again in the next stages of of the heresy. In orbit, the fleet of the first four traitor legions emerged from the warp and with the help of their treacherous ilk slaughtered the loyalist fleet. Only the sacrifice of the Death Guard vessel Terminus Est under the command of first Captain Typhon allowed the remnants of the three shattered legions led by Mortarion to escape Istvan. They sailed the terrible warp storms that started to engulf the galaxy, making warp travel almost impossible to all those but all to all but those loyal to the arch traitor. Horse. Or Horace
3: is dead. This yes, is so sorry
1: about that.
2: Let's see, where were we? We were right here. When the hand of the traitor strikes, it strikes with the strength of a legion.
1: Horus Lupercal, Warmaster of the Imperium, upon receiving word of the Dropsite Massacre. While the news of the Dropsite Massacre had spread through the, the warp on Tides of Screams, the death of a Primarch and the near destruction of three legions resonated through the Imperium reaching Ultramar. At the moment of Lorgar and Ingron's arrival to the system of Calth, the trap tra- tra- laid out by Gilliman sprang closed. The warps storm on unimaginable scale engulfed the 500 world, turning every single planet within its grasp into a demon world. This ruin storm as it came to be known was the result of years of planning. The careful spreading of chaos cults and the culling of those ultramar denizens who refused the new faith brought by gilliman worse there were no ultramarines within its confines save a token force left as a sacrifice to activate the spell the true strength of the 13th legend was elsewhere hidden in the warp and already to returning to help their Primarch march to terra a last message from the two Primarchs pierced the veil of darkness claiming that they would return no matter what lorgar and Angron swore they would come to their father's help the astropathic message they sent carried the will of the two sons of the Emperor with it, and passed through the increasing warp storms. With three legions broken at Istavan and two stranded at Ultramar, the fate of the Imperium seemed dire indeed. Then, to make matters worse, word came that Leman Russ had cast his lot with Rabute as only him would forgive Leman's <laughs> attack <lemon>. of Prospero. <laughs> the Wolf King had scattered his legions into thirteen great companies and placed twelve of them under the command of those trusted sons followed his brother Lionel Johnson to some unknown destination with the 13th. Gilliman led the bulk of his forces to Terra, conquering or destroying each system in his path as to avoid being struck in the back at a crucial moment, while the rest of the traitor Primarchs spread to pursue secondary objectives, waiting time to reunite with their leader. The three Primarchs on Terra, Horus, Perturabo, and Magnus, knew their treacherous kind would attack the throne world eventually, prepared for the inevitable. They called the rest of their legions which had been spread across the galaxy, and countless millions of human soldiers that still remained true to their oaths, prepared to fight to the last man. All knew that the war had to come to Terra eventually. From only the throne world could the Imperium be directed. And we will take a break. Uh we'll we'll take we'll take a take a bit of a break from reading to discuss and also pour one out for our uh our hero, Conrad Kurz, um Savior of the Imperium. Very nice man.
3: Very nice man. Never an did awesome anything guy. bad. In any reality. In any reality. He's always a good boy.
2: So I don't know. I don't know if you guys caught this, but it seems like the only actual difference in this version is the emperor decided to play favorites with different people instead, and that's why that things turned out differently.
1: Uh, I mean, he he also uh, instead of getting rid of the psychers, he encouraged their uh, their use.
3: Yes, yes, that's true. Their psyching, if you will,
1: and then obviously, of course, in in this timeline, uh, Conrad Kurz was a good person and not a ruthless murderer that was Rogaldorn and the uh, Vulcan.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: Which is
3: ironic. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, I just really like this. I just like, like the direction that it goes, how it describes things. Uh-huh. I, I think it's specifically the pacing works very well.
1: It's very interesting that he went with the Iron Hands as the servants of Nurgle. Uh-huh.
3: I mean, um, the other take of this kind of story, the, uh, the 40k theory is, the theoretic is heresy, which I think we've talked about before on the podcast, um, also picked, the Iron Hands. Did he? I didn't get that far into it. Oh, my bad, bro. <laughs> yeah, they did. It's fine. But yeah, um, it's... I, I like it because it's very similar to the to the theoreticus heresy, but it's different in many different ways and, it, and so like it's interesting that people can do this like oh it's the the Horus heresy but backwards, but do it in completely different ways while having the same basic plot structure you know. And you'd yeah. think there
2: wouldn't be a whole right. lot of maneuvering room in that.
1: What I do like about this a bit more than the Theoretica's Heresy is not like an exact exact flip like 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 uh, Ferris kills Fulgrim at the Dropside Massacre. It's completely different. It's Kurz uh-huh. versus Vulcan. Yeah. All right. And I shall continue if you guys are done discussing. Sure. The March right. to Terra. As Gilliman advanced towards the soul system, battle unfolded across the galaxy, entire systems had to decide whether not to say true to the Emperor, or turn to the side of the Ultramarines, facing the might of the Thirteenth Legion and its allies, many chose the way of cowards and bowed before Boutet's armada, but others stayed loyal and prepared to fight to the end. They weren't alone. In this endeavor, the night Lord's Splinter fleets had appeared to strike at the traitors, coming apparently out of nowhere before returning to the shadows. The Eighth Legion led a grueling campaign of guerrilla It's supposed to say guerrilla warfare, but says just (laughs) guerrilla. I'm Uh, trained
3: in guerrilla warfare. You're nothing to me but another target.
1: It appeared to the traitors that the commanders that Kurs had foreseen the the part of the events at Istavan and prepared his legion to the eventuality of his own death. Under the command of Savitar, first captured then of the Night Lords, they separated into hundreds of warbands and inflicted untold damage upon upon the traitors' war effort. Acting independently, they crippled entire fleets and helped turn the tide of many battles, slowing the advance of Gilliman where led the survivors of Istavon V straight to Terra. On the way, warriors from the Alpha Legion hit on worlds that were sure to be targeted by Gilman's forces in order to help the soldiers of the Imperium with their unconventional tactics, which proved efficient on many battlefields and utterly incomprehensible to the Ultramarines' minds. The Traitor Legions each pursued their own objectives. The White Scars, whose Primarch hadn't been seen his fight on Istavan, waged a shadow war against the Night Lords and Alpha Legion Ares, hunting them down, with their superior numbers, but taking heavy casualties for each outpost of the Shadow Legions they destroyed. The Blood Angels hit heavily populated worlds, leaving no spiders behind them. No word escapes from these doomed planets after the Angels' arrival, and what occurred on their soil would only be revealed later in the heresy. The Imperial Fists attack fortified worlds after fortified world, bashing their t- choice of target, not on their strategic value, but on the challenge they would represent, seeking to ever increase their level of martial and tactical prowess. The Salamanders brought dozens of worlds to heal, forcing them into submission to Vulcan and through him to Gilliman. The Sons of Nocturne were especially targeted by the Night Lords in revenge for their murder of Conrad Kurz. Despite the best efforts of the 8th Legion, many billions were forced to pledge fealty to the Black Dragon. Korax led his forces back to his own homeworld, and destroyed it, slaughtering the techno lords of Kievar, who'd experimented on the Primarch while he was still an infant. Before the Emperor found him and rescued them from their claws. From the fortress on the moon, he rained bombs in the Loyalist factories below before attacking at the head of his bestial legionaries to annihilate the survivors himself. Of the Dark Angels of Space activities during that somber period, almost nothing is known. The companies unleashed by Lehman and Ross found their way to the site of other forces or raided Imperial settlements with little cohesion in their actions. When Lionel Johnson reappeared, he stood alone without his brother, the fate of which he refused to reveal to any save Gilliman himself. The prime mark of the Dark Angels had been greatly changed by whatever ordeal he had went through. He was now a Prince of the warp, crowned by one of the Dark Gods themselves as his champion and herald upon the material plane. He was first seen after that transformation on a planet whose name had been lost to the ages. When Magnus received reports from the terrified Imperial forces, he claimed that their brother was dead, and that his place lived a creature of Zeench, chaos god of change. After that first conquest... The Dark Angels sailed towards Caliban, home world of their Primarch. No records have exist what happened there, but it was reduced. But it reduced the once verdant planet to so a barren core of rock. Magnus could see it with his one unique eye. It was a giant surrounded by fire, wielding two blades: the Lion Sword with heat, which he'd fought during the Great Crusade, and a sword of Xenos' origin that was imbued with the power of death over all who knew. He could see the myriad fury, futures open to it and the one path it would choose. Would someone like to be Magnus?
3: Sure, I will. Luther
1: breathed the cyclops as the terrible vision faded.
3: We have to warn him.
1: Gilliman sent many agents looking for signs of the emperor's children. The third legion had vanished from the stars, and even the dark allies of the arch-traitor and the warp couldn't trace them. That lack of information slowed the Ultramarines even further as they began to see Fulgrim and his warriors in every shadow in addition to the night lords. But the, despite the unceasing search for any signs of the Phoenician, Gilliman's spies found nothing. Even his most secretive contacts among the Loyalists didn't know anything, as if the Emperor's children were simply gone. When the system of the war soul itself war raged as well, Mars torn by a conflict between the tech lords, the different forges of the Red Planet choosing their side in the Civil War. Perch Rabo sent one of his most trusted warsmiths, the Triarch Barbin Falk, on Mars. His mission was to secure the weapons and armor the Loyalists would need. By the time he arrived, however, the Red Planet was a ruin, with Loyalists and traitors fighting amongst the wreckage of mankind's greatest industrial success. Supplies would be impossible to secure until the traitors had been defeated and Barb and folk proceeded to do exactly that. The horrors of the Martian War are little documented, for the survivors refused to speak about the terrible things that happened there. heresy near Terra, the Ultramarines found a fortress of the Alpha Legion upon the world of Escador, commanded by Alfarius himself, so close was that planet from the 500 worlds that Gilliman temporarily abandoned his command of the Rebellion Spearhead to travel there with a full quarter of his legion, determined to crush his brother once and for all. While Gilliman later claimed to have slain Alpharius in personal combat, the exact events that occurred on the surface of Excadur are uncertain, and it's said that the Primarch of the Alpha Legion re- reappeared later on Terra, asking the Emperor's help in rebuilding his decimated legion. Regardless of the truth, with the possibility of the Alpha Legion coming to the aid of two- two legions trapped within the ruined storm taken care of, the Ultramarines reunited with the Iron Hands, who had directed the advance toward Terra in Yelliman's absence. With two full legions once more gathered, the loyalist planets fell one by one, until nothing remained to stop the advances of the traitors towards Terra. The Siege of Terra Four Primarchs stood on Terra, with their sons at their side, ready to meet the traitors and send them to oblivion. As the fleet of the traitors emerged, the final battle for the fate of mankind began. Thousands of ships had been gathered by both sides, but even as they exchanged fire with weapons powerful enough to break a planet apart, the commanders of the vessels knew that the true battle would be decided on the world below. The traitor legions descended upon the toil- soil of Terra in other numbers, ready to crush Loyalist defenders. Traitors laid siege to the Imperial Palace, while well, the rest of the world burned. Imperial Fists assaulted the high walls of the greatest fortress ever built with reckless abandon, during the traps set by Perch construction teams. The billions of Terrans died horrific deaths at the hands of the most depraved of the traitors, the Blood Angels. Once the noblest of all the Space Rings, the Sons of Sanguinius, had changed beyond recognition. The rumors that had once dismissed as superstitious slander were revealed true as the Blood Angels fed on the populace, drinking the blood of millions in debased orgies of sensations and slaughter. The warriors of the Ninth Legion had to overcome the flaw in the, their gene seed by indulging their blood first before it overwhelmed. Them. They had become vampires whose beauty hid the rod beneath them as their sanity was consumed by the sensations brought by reliving of those memories whose blood they drank. Horace's fury at the sight was terrible. He marched towards the gates of the Imperial Palace and began massacring the traitors, giving the loyalists a respite, while calling for the one who had been his closest brother to come and face him if he dared. Sanguinius answered his brother challenge. <clears throat> The angel fought against the war master, and the tremors of their battles had to echoed from the walls of the palace to the solitary fortresses of Antarctica. Finally, with his mighty mace worldbreaker, Horus shattered Sanguinius' sword and brought his brother down. As he was about to deal the final blow, however, the face of his brother cleared. The madness that had tainted him since the beginning of the battle vanished. For a moment, Sanguinius was once the perfect being he had once been. Seeing the visage of his brother, Horus faltered, and Sanguinius seized the opportunity. Raising from the wreckage his fall had caused, he bit down on Horus' neck and emptied of him blood. The war master of the Imperium died, his life stolen from him by the one he had called brother and friend. At that moment, the Primarch of the Blood Angels walked the same path lionel johnson had walked before him and became a creature of the warp an immortal prince of the damned from the other side of the palace magnus felt his two brothers death and the dark rebirth of one of them and knew that slaanesh lord of pain and pleasure had found a new champion with horus's death and the coming of dusk the loyalists began to falter the sons of horus tried to recover their father's body but could only recover some of the relics before they were slaughtered and the corpse of the war master stolen by the traitors that final indignity and rage members of the Sixth Legion, but there's nothing they can do against the armies of traitors that stood before them and their beloved father's remains. The Blood angels screaming in ecstasy as the sensation of their primarch spread to all of them by the bounds of blood, stopped their tormenting of Terra civilians and rushed towards the Imperial Palace, eager to taste the same pleasure their father had just experienced in murdering his brother. As it seemed that the traitors were finally going to overcome them, two fleets appeared from the warp. The Night Lords and the Emperor's children had returned to Terra in full strength. What's someone like to be uh, Savitar? You may think you have won the day, traitors, but we own the night. Transmission from First Captain and Legion Master Sevatar before the night to planetfall. The Emperor's children have been stranded in a long campaign against Eldar Raiders, the Xenos trying to destroy the Legion with incomprehensible desperate fury. Sevatar learned of their plight and called the Eighth Legion to aid them. The Third Legion mounted a devastating strike against traitorships, boarding them and preventing them from bombarding the surface further. Their newly gained expertise in boarding actions paid for in the blood and pain. Those who fought the Dark Eldars proved invaluable as they effectively crippled most of the traitor's fleet. Meanwhile, the Night Lords descended upon Terra. The forces of the 8th Legion came to the aid of the terrified population, butchering the Blood Angels who were using them for debased pleasures. The champions of both legions clashed at several duels, and to this day, the enmity between the Sons of Nostromo and the Fallen Angels is still strong, but nothing is compared to the undying hatred of the Sons of Horus." The news of two legions arrival renewed the loyalist strength. The mournable, the four sons, Horus, who had been the closest advisor to their fallen primary, led a counterattack against the blood angels. Clad in Terminator armor, the vengeful sons fought against the demon Primarch and won. They crushed his perfect form, destroyed his glamour, and revealed him for the monster he was. The beauty of the angel vanished, and the ugliness of the egoistic, narcissistic beast he had become was exposed. Then, as his brothers held the quarry down, the first captain of the Sons of Horus, Ezekiel Abaddon, ripped out the traitor's twin hearts with the Talon of Horus, the weapon he had recovered upon his father's corpse before being forced to retreat before the traitor's onslaught. Uh, let's take some time to discuss and once again, pour one out for Horus. And, Poor uh, Horus. He never
2: Horus did anything did, wrong.
3: Horus got embered, dude. What the fuck?
2: Good yeah. boy. Horus. My beautiful boy.
1: But look. It's Zeke. He came back.
3: Zeke is here.
1: Abaddon's redemption arc in another universe.
3: Zeke. Oh.
1: So thoughts thus far?
2: It's really good at playing into the uh, the grim darkness. So many fan fiction writers are so tempted to to bring that light to to resolve the conflict of the Warhammer universe, but this this really hits it on the head. Where it, it's just like a, a note, a, an out of tune note hanging in the air in a song, and you, you you just have to wait for it to resolve.
1: I I like the vampire blood angels idea.
2: Yeah, that that part is especially oh. cool.
1: All right, and with that, we'll go to the confrontation of the Throne Room. When Sanguinius fell, his essence was released into the Empyrean. Gilliman saw that the tide of the battle was turning against him. The Blood Angels were worthless to him, fallen on the ground and twisting in a mix of pleasure and agony as they keenly felt the destruction of their Primarch's physical form. Whereas Alex Alex and the Worst whispered to him that Lorgar and Angron had found a way of the ruin Storm and were rushing to Terra, pushing the engines of their ships and their navigators to survive the Hellish Realm to their utmost limits. Time was running out, and only a decisive strike could yet save Gilliman's rebellion from ruin. The arch-traitor gathered his most powerful warriors, causing, calling his brothers to join him for a massive attack against the throne room of the Imperial Palace, where the Emperor had stayed since the traitors had first emerged in the soul system. Rogel Dorn and Lionel Johnson rejoined him while Ferris managed to stay in the front lines to keep the forces of the Night Lords from assaulting the strike force in the back. The plague-stricken Primarch fought against the combined armies of two legions, holding the line while his treacherous ilk... Forced his way through the defenders, who were powerless to stop the three Primarchs. They broke the Titan high gates and found their way to the Imperial Sanctuary. The palace was no mere fortress. Its insides had been rebuilt by Perturabo himself. The Lord of Iron had spent no effort in the construction of mankind's greatest bastion. He replicated and adapted at a larger scale the design of his own portable fortress, the Cavia Ferrum. Its elaborate to- labyrinthine deaths the traders were unable to navigate and were soon separated even the favorite of the god of sorcery lionel johnson fell to parabo's trap's non-euclidean geometries the demon primarch of the dark angels came face with the one being on terra besides the emperor that stood a chance against his foul powers magnus the red the details of what occurred then in the dark tunnels of parabo's trap are not known to any soul of the imperium but magnus emerged victor and lionel johnson was cast back into the sea of souls Similarly misguided, Rogul Dorn came face-to-face with the one brother he hated beyond all others, the architect of the Ferrum himself. Perturabo and Dorn fought while their sons battled around him, and though it is said that a battle between hammer and blade doesn't last long, such rules do not apply between the duel of the two sons of the Emperor. The battle lasted for hours on, on end without any of them gaining the upper hand as they spilled each other's blood. Meanwhile, guided by the whispers of his dark patrons, Rebute found himself to the Emperor himself. The Lord of Mankind stood before the Golden Throne, surrounded by his custodians. One last time, he attempted to make his wayward son see the error of his way and repent, but the claws of chaos were too deeply entrenched within Gilman's soul, and nothing could save him. The Emperor and Gilman clashed, the gauntlets of Ultramar, terrible weapons infused with the power of dark gods opposing the fiery sword of the Lord of Mankind. The two avatars fought on the plate of matter, too so too did they battle in the Sea of Souls. The divine power of the Emperor's mind confronted the psychic gifts of Gilliman, awakened by the dark gods and strengthened by them to the point where the arch traitor was equal to that of the Emperor. In fact, Gilliman was stronger. There was a reason the Emperor had stayed in the throne room since the beginning of the siege. His grand work, the webway of mankind, had been attacked from the warp by hordes of demons. He needed to stay on the golden throne to keep them from opening a portal in the heart of palace and overcoming the defenders. Though the task now rested upon the shoulders of his most trusted servant, Malkador, the burden of keeping the legions of war at bay for weeks had taken a toll upon him that Gilliman was now using to his advantage. Rabutte finally brought his father low and prepared to deal the final blow. But as he reveled in his imminent victory, there was a flash of light. Fulgrim! Primarch of the Emperor's children appeared, it teleported from his flagship, the Andronicus. Gone was the perfect face that had once been the Phoenician's pride. Now, Fulgrim's visage was marred by scars caused by Eldar weapons. When that loss of the pristine perfection he had once sought, Fulgrim had gained a cold fury that could rival even the fires deep within Pertorabo's own. Wielding the blade that had been forged to him by his brother Magnus in a brighter era, he struck at his corrupted brother. Gilliman screamed in pain and his focus slipped, allowing the crippled Emperor to strike at him from the Sea of Souls, the combined might of Fulgrim's Blow, and the Emperor's death of attack were finally enough to overcome his Primarch physiology and kill the Arch-Traitor. The Ultramarines were struck terribly at the fall of their leads. They retreated, taking his body with them and ran. They fled to Terra, abandoning the other legions that had pledged themselves to Gilliman's cause. These, seeing their erstwhile allies flee, were forced to do the same. Taking considerable damage from the Loyalists' pursuit, the Traitors escaped. The Ultramarines ran back to the Ruined Storm, while the rest of the Traitor Legion sailed towards the Eye of Terror, knowing that the Imperium's retribution couldn't follow them in its hellish depths. The Emperor, however, was dying. The wounds he had suffered fighting Giliman were too much, and the damage caused to his mind by his final confrontation with the Champion of Dark Gods was preventing him from using his powers to heal. Moreover, Malco sigilite had finally succumbed to his duty, and the portal within the Golden Throne was threatening to open again and again. Magnus communed with his father with a heavy heart, placed his body upon the golden throne. For Pertorobo Actus activated the stasis field that preserved the Emperor's physical shell while his soul kept fighting the dark gods for the rest of eternity. The Lord of Mankind became one with the light of the Astronomicon, and <clears throat> a thousand souls are sacrificed to him each day so he may continue his endless vigil. The Rebutan heresy was over. Now the long war to purge the galaxy of the traitor's foul presence could begin.
2: Gosh, damn!
1: We got Fulgrim coming in clutch.
2: Fulgrim with that clutch save. I really like the non. I, I really like the former, the the alternate universe trader in this universe, not trader primarchs with Perturabo, Fulgrim,
3: uh-huh.
2: Magnus, Magnus.
3: Fulgrim's seen some shit.
2: Fulgrim has seen some shit. No longer is he Femboy Fulgrim.
1: I'm wondering what happened to to uh Jagatai. Khan. Yeah, yeah, Jagatai. I feel he's like AFK.
3: He, I feel like the author just didn't know what to do with him. <laughs> so he just well, well,
1: like... well, 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 well you can well you find out later.
2: <laughs> yeah, you can uh... read the entirety of the events of the heresy from the perspective of each individual Legion.
1: Uh, yes. Mm. If you see in the chapter, there is Index Astartes for each of the legions that starts you from, like, the birth of their Primarch going up through the Heresy. Interesting. And then then he, uh, he kind of fills in 30k to 40k and then goes straight into the 13th Black Crusade and onward.
2: Yeah, he really goes in deep.
1: Uh, so, uh, this next part is pretty long, and we've already gone on for, like, an hour and ten minutes, so I will just summarize what happens in these next, uh, these next few paragraphs. So, um, Sons of Horus set up the, uh, uh, the Council of Terra, uh, perturabo uh, builds these iron cages, basically defense stations around the, uh, the Eye of Terror. Uh, and we get the Ecclesiarchy, and we get the, uh, the Inquisition, um, Uh, Lorgar is a science boy in this universe, so he wasn't really a big fan of uh, the Imperial religion, but everyone figured everyone was better off worshipping the elite. uh, uh, Better off worshipping the Emperor than Chaos. Uh
3: Uh,
1: The Ultramarines basically went the way of the Black Legion splitting up. Uh, Dark Angels um, uh, basically settled on the planet of Sorcerers. They're, you know, Xenchi boys. Uh, Imperial Fists uh joined up with Corn. Uh they're just kind of uh uh what's it called uh fighting endlessly on their own planet. Uh, Sigismund uh uh, jo- uh made the Chaos warband known as the Black Templars. Uh-huh. Uh Blood Angels of course are slanesh doing Fucking their own thing on their demon demon world.
3: Fucking Sigismund, dude. What an asshole. <laughs> uh
1: Iron Hands uh got their plague planet. Uh, Vulcan became a demon prince of chaos undivided, and he's a huge dragon. Uh, that is too too physically large to leave the material realm because on a planet where physics don't exist, his immense weight doesn't you know weigh him down. Um, he's, he's dummy thick, uh, is what I'm hearing. Yes. He uh, Corvus Korax is now a uh, uh uh raven demon man. Of course. And I will I will read these last two paragraphs as so they kind of sum up what's been going on. It is now the dusk of the forty-first millennium, and things are darker than ever for humanity. The orcs once more arise in their great wah. The Tows foolish foolishly attack the iron cages from without, unable to see by their actions they may, may well doom themselves. And the Tyranids, after losing an entire high fleet within the ruined storm, are now on the very threshold of holy terror itself. Worst planets long thought secure are mysteriously lost, with no sign of life remaining on their soil. As more and more enemies rise across the galaxy, the final hour seems to draw ever closer. So too do the Traitor Legions. Alarming reports from the Iron Cages indicate that the Chaos Marines seem to have put aside their grudges, and for the first time in 10,000 years, the united force of the Traitor Legions may rise to attack the Imperium. While the loyal servants of Terra have repelled many a Black Crusade in the past, led by some warlord who had managed to unite several factions over the ever-warring Chaotic Forces, such a thing could very well bring the doom of the Imperium to finish what Gilmae asserted long ago. So that was the uh, the very long overview of the Rutean heresy. Um, I really, I really like it. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, a fun read. Yeah, I'd say my only problem with it was a few typos.
2: Yeah, it it definitely needs one more good once over of a uh, spell checking and editing.
3: I think it's the kind of story where you need to understand, like, it's kind of like. Only by name, a lot of the characters, because like, obviously, like oh, it's Perturabo and it's Horus, but they're pretty much completely different than how they actually were. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The Perturabo here is nothing like per- the Perturabo from actual canon.
1: Yeah. Like I know, I know the one change he made to uh, Conrad mm. is Conrad. Conrad actually had a mother who imparted on him good values and taught him to you know fight for justice and whatnot. And like I know, Lionel Johnson was always being whispered to by uh uh Zinch by the time he was born, which is always just kind of in his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I I love I love Alfarius being Alfarius, and it was like he died, but not really.
3: He died, and then like the next day, he was like, "Yo,
1: what's up?"
2: Like sup, gamers? How we how we doing this?
1: And I I do know that because uh, I don't mention. Overview, but uh uh Lehman Russ breaks the hole in the web way trying to kill Magnus. Because Magnus was helping the Emperor put it together.
2: Yep. And that is uh that is why the Emperor had to sit his dummy butt down on the Golden Throne to keep the demon cork in. So
1: what what are what are your guys' final ratings?
3: It was good. It was really good. I'd give it like a nine.
2: Yeah, I'd say a 9. <clears throat> Probably a 9.5 or even a 10 out of 10 if those um, little editing errors were fixed. It's not a traditional story, but it's a very fun one.
1: Yes, and I'm I'm very interested to see where this goes as I'll try to read more of it on my own time. Sounds good. On that note, I would like to do a bit of discussion before the end of episode. episode. Uh, what is your favorite um, uh, story or, like, moment um, out of Warhammer lore that you've heard about, read about, seen a video on?
2: Oh, uh, well, one of the more topical ones that I just read through and one I would really like to read the book of is uh, the event in uh, where Caiaphas Kane apparently fights a chaos space marine one-on-one and wins.
3: That happened?
2: Apparently. Apparently. He. F- nice. Don't know how he did it, but he did. I'd love to see that shit. I would um,
3: say probably, um. I don't know. I really like the concept of, uh. It's not really a specific story, but just the concept of Gilliman coming back after a 10,000 year nap, and he's just like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs>
2: yeah. also did they lampshade Gilliman being a bit of a Mary Sue earlier in this I noticed that when in, when Horus was like he was too perfect too nice I should have known how could we not have known
1: I, I, th- was- I, th- I, think, I think a little bit because the ultramarines basically go like completely unscathed because in regular canon they got fucked during the heresy and this one they were in full like, like, like nothing bad happened to them on the, on their way to Terra until <clears throat> Kilman finally got game ended by his one mm-hmm. nemesis, Fulgrim, who kills him, no matter what universe you're in.
2: Yep, it's too bad.
1: Uh, I have to say, my favorite um, uh, Warhammer um, uh, moments. There's a few of them. I'd say uh, probably uh the stories of Commissar Yarik and his uh fights against uh, uh the war boss Goskel. those are also quite fun um those um oh yeah, the one moment I've told you about before from one of the Eisenhorn novels where uh one of inquisitor eisenhorn's uh like party is being chased by an emperor's children and they're killed by a a strange ga- a strange man who identifies himself as Alfarius. Hmm. And then the most recent one uh, that I well I've I've uh, I've I've read about this before, but uh, I sent you the video of it. Stringstorm did like a like a play esque musical version of it. Is uh, the story of the Dreadnought Rillanor, who is a loyalist Emperor's children Dreadnought that got stuck on Istvan Three after the like the 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 purging, and he calls Fulgrim to uh, the planet and he convinces some thousand sons to uh turn against chaos and they detonate a virus bomb and uh blow up fulgrim. Oh yeah. damn. And uh the the fu- th- there's this uh, it's a, it's a chilling moment at the end of that storm video cuz R- R- is just like giving this epic speech to Fulgrim and Stringstorm's storm's blasting the TTS theme in the background. <laughs> That sounds awesome. And then uh I don't think if there's any other good uh moments I know of. Anything involving the Emperor is just awesome.
2: Oh yeah, the Emperor is just awesome all the time.
1: Oh yeah, and uh, uh Gilliman. Uh one one of the, from Gilliman, it's from the book No No Fear is when he's facing down Lorgar and they're like clashing swords, and he's like, Look at me, brother. And it describes that um, uh, Lorgar sees like the void burns on Gilliman's face because Gilliman had been fighting in the uh, Baron, uh, uh, with powered down power armor in uh the void of space for twelve whole hours, and he says like, "You burned my people, uh, and my sons. Now I will kill all of yours." And then he proceeds to beat the shit out of Lorgar.
3: That's
2: epic. Oh
1: yeah, and just.
3: Look at
1: me, Lorgar. You're a bitch. Oh yeah, just just, uh, just moments after Gilman's return of him just like picking up like Space Marine Terminators and tossing them across the room.
2: Uh huh. Yeah.
1: Or 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 just or just picking up Magnus in his huge demon form and then just just football tackling him like a kilometer over on the moon. I mean, the moon has lower gravity, anyways, but that's still a, a ridiculous feat of strength, uh, regardless of the gravity.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, they're tackling somebody who's still really, really heavy. You need yeah. a lot of force to do that.
1: Yeah, uh, does anyone have anything else to bring up? Anything they'd like to shill or talk about? Ah, uh, I don't think I have any
2: shilling or other discussions to bring up at the moment. What about you, Jacob?
3: Mm, no, I don't think I have anything.
1: Um, I will just make the note of uh um if you're looking to get into Warhammer now is the best time uh the uh 9th edition just dropped uh so if you wanted to get into that the there's a rule book there's a brand new set uh new novels are out I've picked them up but I haven't started reading them yet uh two of them I'd recommend is Dawn of Fire and Indomitus if you're looking to get into what is going on uh right now yeah right right now in, in the plot um and also uh, Black Library is pumping out a significant amount of novels within there so there'll be plenty of new story and lore to get into Um, and also on that note I am also going to show Stringstorm for his excellent songs that I listen to during work especially the one I mentioned before Rillinor's Last Stand nice
2: with
1: that we will end off once I uh, grab the command for Craig. All right, loyal viewers, of So You Think You Can Vannon, we will see you next week.